coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And is there such a thing as a happy Monday? Well, I'm offering to wish you that anyway. And a happy Monday to you. Thanks for tuning in to The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday, uh, Brandon, who I should be in Minneapolis by now. Uh, Brandon and uh, actually a lot of my friends from uh, a couple of the softball leagues I play in are in Minneapolis for the World Series, the uh, Naga GSWS, Gay Softball World Series. Anyway, uh, congrats to all who earned their births, and y'all have a great time. Bring back some hardware, make Atlanta proud. Uh, Brandon and I were talking yesterday, and he was asking me where he could listen to past episodes of the show. And I said, well, the easy way to go about it is to just head to the website, ronshowatl.com. And then he said, oh, I'm a big podcaster. Are you on a podcast platform? Well, yes, yes, I am. So uh, I told him, I asked him what his favorite podcast platform was. He says, Apple. I said, okay, well, let me get you the link. I got you the link, got him the link. And I said, uh, he said, okay, favorited. Cool. I said, I think I'm in double digits now. Actually, no. <laughs> no, I'm in triple digits. Hair toss. Thank you so much for favoriting The Ron Show on whatever podcast platform it is that you listen to. So appreciative. I don't, in fact, I purposely don't look at metrics on the podcast platforms because I just don't want to get my hopes up, my hopes deflated. You know, I put a lot of work into this show five days a week, mostly five days a week. And so I don't want to tell myself, oh, I've got to do this for the hundreds or thousands of people that are listening. And I also don't want to go into the mindset well, I'm only doing this for like 60 people. So what's it matter? You know, you see what I mean? Like, I don't want to put too much pressure on myself. And I also don't want to chop myself with the knees. So I know when I talk with Jeremy Brazil and the America One Radio folks, he checks in with me every few months or whatever and just lets me know, hey, your metrics are up. Here's what you're looking at now. We have an average of so-and-so. And so it gives me good numbers. Cool. That's awesome. I appreciate that. But that's not what you tuned in to hear me talk about. Sorry. There's actually just so much stuff. This is one of those days where you look at the roadmap and there's six different routes to get to the finish line and they're all about, so where do you start? My gosh, there's so much to get to. Some headlines that I guess we could start with. The first federal trial date that we see for Donald John Trump was settled today, March 4th. That is going to be pretty interesting in that that is just as the primary calendar really gets started. Uh, U.S. District Court Judge Tanya Chutkin set that date during a hearing this morning in federal court back in Washington, D.C. Now, Trump had attorneys asking for the trial to be pushed back to April of 2026. Of course, after the presidential election. Now, what would happen if Donald Trump were to somehow win the GOP nomination and become president again. He could essentially, oh, executive privilege, I'm president, so he can't touch me. And of course, pardon himself while he's in office. So, <laughs> I mean, boy, how's that for justice, right? Um, so Judge Chutkin kind of shot that down. She said, I want to note here that setting a trial date does not depend and should not depend on the defendant's personal or professional obligations. Good. That needs to be said. Now, of course, the right is going absolute 
bet bonkers about this. Oh, it's election interference. Well, okay. You could see it that way, or you could see it the way I think the majority of Americans do. Donald Trump's not so much running for president as much as he's running to avoid prison. I mean, that's kind of... I get it. He may want to be president again. He didn't the first time, let's be honest. But he may want to be president again this time. But what's motivating him? Is the motivation to somehow get a mulligan on the first disastrous term he had? I can do better. Can you? Or is it to avoid prison? I argue... This is what, obviously, why else would you want to choose a court date that's two and a half years into the future and two years into a new presidential term? Eh. So he only got about a two month reprieve. The special counsel, Jack Smith, had originally asked for a trial date that started in January with jury selection beginning in December. But let's be honest, even then, pundits, politicians, Marjorie, on the right were complaining about election interference. So there's really a no-win scenario that seems to thread the needle between speedy trial, fair, and doesn't complicate the process of the GOP primary calendar, but also avoids this country falling into a constitutional crisis where the nominee of the major party, or a major party, might be unable to serve his term if elected. I'm struck by what I saw yesterday when I was watching Sunday talk shows of Vivek Ramaswamy, who I may have stolen the spotlight in some respects at the last uh, GOP presidential primary debate last week. Personally, I thought Nikki Haley came away, if we're thinking of us on the left, I think Nikki Haley came away as the biggest threat to a Joe Biden re-election the GOP can't get out of their own way. I, I want to go to something that Vivek Ramaswamy said at the debate. Uh, Chuck Todd brought it up yesterday, where Vivek praised Donald Trump for being the best president of the 21st century. And then Chuck kind of asked, uh, I think, a, a, a tough question. A lot of people are asking this sure. question. If you believe Donald Trump is the greatest president of the 21st century, he's running. Why are you running against him? Why do you think his second term won't be as good as his first. Well, look, I did say he's the best president of the 21st century. From George Bush to Barack Obama to Joe Biden to Donald Trump, I think it's not even close. Hmm. Who was the best of those presidents? In my book, <laughs> I judge by results. Oh my God. That being said, I believe I can take the America First agenda even further than Donald Trump did. I think I will be more effective in uniting this country in the process. Look at the way we're running this campaign. I'm not leaving any state behind, any city behind, no American left behind, from the south side of Chicago to Kensington, to places where traditional Republicans don't go. I think I am best positioned to deliver a landslide election, yeah. a multi-ethnic, working-class majority. Mm. And I do think that a landslide is what we need in this country, not another 50.1 election. And I'm the only candidate in this race who can actually deliver that. He's not wrong that this country needs a landslide election. and. The presumption of a Trump v. Biden rematch isn't going to get that. We're not going to, I just don't see the American people delivering that sort of landslide election in 2024 if those two are on the ticket. I just don't. 
But what Vivek and a lot of the GOP completely miss out on is that their posturing in trying to defend Donald Trump, praise him even, despite what we all know about his first term, his only term, thankfully, so far, and God willing, that it was not the best presidency of the 21st century. It was disastrous on so many levels. Net job loss, COVID, the response to COVID, the unrest in the streets, this civil strife along racial lines. It was a disastrous first and hopefully only Trump presidency. And they keep running on this fable that we're supposed to somehow have not any recollection of, like, did, did we did we cross in front of Will Smith and, and the men in black scene? Pew! Did we forget? No, we didn't forget that disastrous four years. I guess my point is th- this, this train wreck that's about to happen between our judicial system trying to do its work and the GOP primary calendar, this train wreck was wholly unavoidable, except the GOP never could coalesce around themselves and, by the way, their own conservative ideology and rebuffing, rebuffing the MAGA movement, Donald Trump as their icon. I mean, fine, you want to run on his platform, Vivek? Fine, run on his platform. That's fair game. That would give you, by the way, a greater in, but the rest of the party has to say, Donald Trump can't be president of the United States again. Or better yet, since they don't actually have the right to say that, the least they could do is say, Donald Trump cannot be our party's nominee again. They're not going to tell you this, but their actions do. They're scared. They're scared of short-term political loss and not seeing the long-term political gain of shedding themselves of Donald Trump. Tim Scott didn't even have the guts to do it. This, let, me, let me play a little bit of this segment from Meet the Press yesterday that kind of illustrates that. And Pat McCrory, the former governor of North Carolina, basically admitted as much. They're scared of the MAGA movement. You know, a lot of times candidates want to tell us, oh, nobody asks us about Trump on the trail. Here's Tim Scott on the trail being asked by a Republican about Donald Trump. Watch this. You're not standing toe-to-toe with somebody who you don't well, accept as well, we a president. we actually disagree on the foundation, the premise of the question, the problem. Sure. And the premise of the question is, why don't you stand up to Trump? You're just wrong that I don't. That's the, that's the I've never heard you. That's, that's, I didn't hear you the other night stand the, up and say, I can't the, accept him as president. Do you want to have a conversation or do you want to have a monologue? So I'm happy to listen, but if wow. you want to have a dialogue, I'll, I'll be speaking as well. Wow. Pat, that escalated quickly. I was stunned that... Tim Scott sort of almost went after the voter. The voter didn't seem like he was being angry. He knew he was being filmed, and he also knew he didn't want to irritate the Trump base. Bingo. And that's, listen, I'm an example of that. I had a 30-point lead at one time in a U.S. Senate race, and the minute Trump went against me, I dropped. That's the power of Donald Trump. And you, the interview you did earlier with the new kid in town, he, he's talking about a revolution. While in the same interview, he also said he's going to change the tone. Yeah. I mean, that's within yeah. 48 hours. They're all scared of exactly what happened to Pat McCrory. That's that. And, and the silly thing is, this is what's so short-sighted about everybody running for the GOP nomination right now. They're not going to win if he stays in the race. They're not going to win as long as Donald Trump stays in the race. So, 
instead of just blowing them out of the water and saying, fine, if you can't get behind any of us instead of him and see what we see, that he is an albatross, an anchor dragging this right-wing ship into the water and get behind one of us instead, then we're just going to have to confess that 2024 is going to be a mulligan for us. And we'll have to regroup in 2028 with your cult hero behind bars. I don't understand why they're afraid of that. I mean, now what the political response would be from the, oh, we're just afraid of another disastrous four-year Biden presidency. Yes, with the millions of jobs gained and the avoiding of the recession, the rest of the globe, uh, China into a depression, it would seem here very soon, is going into, oh, disastrous, right? Actually, I have a few points to make on that. I want to read you a Twitter thread that really made a whole lot of sense about the way Americans see the economy and the way Democrats ought to and ought not to run on that. My man Bernie Sanders even chimed in. More on that on The Ron Show here on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Monday. If you have listened to this show for the last few weeks and you are aware of the Richmond, North of Richmond song and you've heard me sort of bring that song and that message up, not so much to berate the songwriter, the singer, but more to say to Democrats, yo, pay attention to this. Do not dismiss this. It's very real. You can talk about the whole punching down, about folks on welfare buying crap food. Absolutely. Listen, There aren't many of us who would disagree that the prevalence of EBT use for boxes of fudge rounds is worth scrutinizing. Unfortunately, there are things called food deserts. I I, I stopped at the Family Dollar earlier today to pick up a bag of dog food and a bag of cat food to donate to Lifeline Animal Services. Apparently, they are dealing with a pet food shortage. By the way, do the same if you can and drop it off at their location at 860 Marietta Boulevard, Northwest in Atlanta, please. Anyway, I I stopped at a Dollar General, and I was just struck by how sitting in this store and looking around, the grocery options, the actual food options, are pretty limited. And some of you who don't know any better might say, well, why would you grocery shop in a Family Dollar or a Dollar General? Well, you shouldn't, honestly. But in a lot of cases, that's the only option for folks who have limited transportation options, who live in what we call food deserts. Now, the family dollar that I'm at is not really in a food desert. It's pretty close, but not quite a food desert. And in the next couple of years, there will be a Publix just, I want to say, seven, eight blocks down the road. But again, that's if you have limited transportation options, the family dollar might be where you go to grocery shop. And you can buy preservative-laden, canned, and starchy box stuff, and a few things in the frozen food, but not like meat, chicken. You, you, you can't buy seafood at the family dollar. So when I caution Democrats about being dismissive about that song, you, you just got to kind of take some of that and go, okay, that's just, dude, dude was looking for something to rhyme with another word, and he came out with, with fudge rounds, Okay but not to dismiss the overarching statement that is playing out and resonating with the American people. We can sit here and point to, oh, the GOP's party leader is a multi-indicted, soon-to-be felon, and blah, blah, blah. And, And the right can say, well, Biden and Hunter Biden, his kid, blah, blah, blah. And that it shouldn't cancel each other out because there's, there's a lot of there there on one. And there's a lot of, when are you, providing the evidence on the other. But the American people who are kind of 
not really in the loop on politics. They just kind of hear both in the periphery and think it cancels out. It's all about what affects them that matters most. And once again, once again, my man Bernie Sanders is the one politician kind of being frank to the Democratic Party, I mean, aside from me, obviously, hair toss, about the sort of messaging that Democrats need to be focusing on. Here he was on Meet the Press yesterday. In fact, they started with a clip from him being at the, uh, what's it, New Hampshire, New Hampshire Political Institute, giving a statement. It is no secret that I want Joe Biden to be reelected president. If that is going to happen, if we are going to defeat creeping authoritarianism and right-wing extremism, there has got to be an ideological change, of course. Yep. The fact that you felt the need to do this, should we read into the fact that you don't believe there's a second-term agenda yet? that uh, Americans can wrap their head around for what a second Biden term would look like? No, I think what you can read into that is that Biden has every right to be proud of a long series of accomplishments. You know, two and a half, three years ago, this country was in the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression because of COVID. Today, unemployment is all of 3%. We're gaining new jobs, rebuilding manufacturing. We've invested in the uh, infrastructure. infrastructure. Uh, we're making progress, and Biden has a right to be proud of that. The point of my remarks is that you cannot simply, as President of the United States, rest on your laurels. Mm -hmm. What you have got to understand is that today, for structural reasons that have gone on for decades, yep. tens and tens of millions of people are struggling to put food on the table. They can't afford health care. They can't afford prescription drugs. They can't afford housing. Yeah. They can't afford child care. And meanwhile, in the midst of all of that, you have incredible corporate greed and the billionaire class has never done better. The problem with the last statement, Senator Sanders, is that there's never really been an appetite for combating that at the federal level. And I'm not pinning that on just Republicans. You can never count on them to rally behind things that would actually benefit the American people, collective bargaining, uh, a minimum wage increase that, by the way, do it and then set it to some economic indicator that means it never loses pace with inflation, some inflationary measure so that that never becomes a political football again. But there's no appetite for that. There's no appetite for collective bargaining uh, support, even though the popularity of unions is stronger, even if Actual union participation is weaker. There's also no appetite for going after big business for hoarding profits. Not in Washington. And why is that? And, and again, this is not just a GOP thing. Count them out. There, there's no, you're never going to get... But you can't, you can't even get Democrats when in power to pass legislation that makes it illegal for senators and congressmen to buy and sell stocks while they're in office. So, again, I'm, I'm not preaching to Senator Sanders because Senator Sanders, Bernie's behind all of that. He wants a minimum wage increase. He said something about $17 an hour, which struck me because we've been fighting for 15, right? Remember when it was the fight for 15 in 2016? My God, that was seven years ago. We haven't touched the minimum wage since 2009. You're aware that the minimum wage is still $7.25 an hour, right? And the thing that kind of frustrates me as a progressive, an admitted progressive, 
is that the establishment wing of the Democratic Party is always afraid they're going to get pilloried by the right for running on a super fringe, lefty, progressive, blah, blah, blah. They're going to hit you with that no matter how center-left you are. So just go to the left. Win over some voters that you can actually convince to vote for you. So many of the fears that come with things like the minimum wage increase, great example. Oh, if you raise minimum wages, then they're going to spike prices. Well, the longer we put this off, the more likely that is to happen and the more painful it will be for all consumers to begin with. So find a solution, whether it's in stages to finally get us caught up to where the minimum wage should be. But the more we just kick the can down the road, the bigger the problem gets. Yeah, I'm saying I I want Biden and Kamala Harris to channel their inner Bernie Sanders. There, I said it. We'll discuss more after the break. Archived audio, blogs, social media links, and more, all in one place. Log on at ronshowatl.com. The Ron Show on America One Radio. An absolute awful tragedy and a reminder that white supremacy is still a problem in the United States when a man targeted people of color when he decided to shoot at them at a Dollar General in Jacksonville, Florida. Now, I, I would love to talk more about this, but I'm actually going to save that conversation for tomorrow. Uh, joining me is tomorrow, Dante King, an assistant professor of medical education in the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science. Uh, Dante also serves as guest faculty at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine, also taught courses for Stanford Medical School and Johns Hopkins, Uh, He also authored the book, The 400-Year Holocaust, White America's Legal, Psychopathic, and Sociopathic Black Genocide, and the Revolt Against Critical Race Theory. And I have to say, on the one hand, I understand that the current Florida governor should show up to lend his support for grieving families, his condolences, and make statements that vow to... I mean, the, the the guy killed himself, so there's no justice to be brought. But in a lot of cases, <laughs> that's kind of the frustration within marginalized communities in the first place, folks who are targeted for crimes like this. What are you going to do about it? It's no mistake that Ron DeSantis wants to take the throne, the MAGA throne, from Donald Trump. And he's following directly in the man's footsteps by not denouncing white supremacy. He had a chance to denounce Nazism when there were folks flying Nazi flags and a uh, a flag-waving group shouting anti-Semitic slurs in Orlando back in 20... When was this? Oh, it was just a year ago, 2022. CNN reported that DeSantis lashed out at those who called on him to condemn Nazi demonstrations that had taken place over the weekend near Orlando, accusing his political opponents of trying to, quote, smear me as if I had something to do with it. He insisted he would not be playing their game. Yeah, so he showed up to give a statement in Jacksonville earlier today, and he got roundly booed, and one of the local African-American council ladies, I believe, she, she, she took the high road. She, she took the Michelle Obama when they go, we go high. She took the high road. Grabbed the wireless mic from, from Ron DeSantis' dais and said, hey, 
We're not doing this. Parties aside, blah, 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 blah. Let's hear the man out. Good on her. But then he gave uh, like a little three-minute speech where he didn't call out white supremacy. He tap danced around it, didn't say racism. He just talked about targeting people for what they look like. <laughs> that, that, this is like that whitewash, that reverbalization of uh, critical race theory. Well, we're not going to call it racism. We're going to call it dislike of people who don't look like us so that everyone feels like they can claim oppression in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Right? That, uh, we, we've been listening to this from the right for a while now. Well, what about reverse racism? Is it codified? Is it systemic? Are there decades, nay centuries, two or more in this country of often codified by law in the Constitution even? Three-fifths clause? Is there is there a history of that reverse racism that has created generational problems? And, and going back to what I was talking about before we stopped... When I was talking about what Bernie Sanders was inferring that Democrats as a whole and the Biden-Harris re-election campaign needs to grasp in particular, is that lip service isn't going to do it anymore. We we should have learned that lesson in 2016, and I pray we have ahead of the 2024 cycle. We can't just eat up mugshots and murals, by the way, fantastic mural on the Beltline, and... I shared on our Instagram at RonshoATL. You can purchase prints of the Instagram or the uh, of the mural if you want. The uh, my ass got arrested mural of Donald Trump's uh, mugshot on the Beltline, but that's not gonna that's not going to seal the deal. In in fact, we're starting to see some concerning numbers. Uh, New York Times Siena poll released here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Biden, according to Axios, failed to win majority support from non-white voters who hadn't graduated from college. His lead over Trump with this once heavily Democratic constituency is just 16 points. It's a 49 to 33% margin, but that used to heavily swing to the left. 2020, Biden dominated Trump with those voters, winning by a 48-point margin. It's down to 16. Obama won non-white working-class voters by a 67-point margin in 2012. So while I can sit here and talk about the Oliver Anthony song, White Guy Appalachian, I could sit here and talk about the Jason Aldean, Try That in a Small Town song, the discord with status quo is pretty strong in general. Especially when you drill it down to the, uh, the folks who haven't graduated from college part. Again, non-white voters who haven't graduated from college. Biden still has a plurality, 49 to 31, 33%, and that's likely higher with those who will vote. It used to be a lot bigger. And, and this goes back to where Democrats used to be the party of the working class, right? And still claims to be, and still wants, it says, to be. And yet, I think... There's something lost in not just the messaging, but in the delivery of goods. What what is the the the, the biggest legislative nugget from the Democratic Party in the last twenty years? The Affordable Care Act. 
And the Affordable Care Act has done a lot of good. It has given more Americans the opportunity to be insured that couldn't before get insured. Fantastic. But it's along the lines of the re-election strategy right now that we're seeing from Biden-Harris and Democrats. Hey, the economy. Hey, it could have been a lot worse, y'all. Biden-Harris 24. No. (laughs) You can't run on, imagine what it would have been like. Because that's not tangible. People don't feel that. They don't see that. There's no way to look at that in your bank statement. But you can look at the effects of stagnant wages, rising cost of living, healthcare costs, prescription costs, housing costs. These all have an effect. And it's one thing to, as I think a lot of people are wont to do, run against Trump because consider the alternative. No. In fact, Bernie Sanders said something about that. We, we can't run on consider the alternative. We have to run on consider the possibility. I don't think that's what he said, but that's what I'm saying. Stop saying consider the alternative and start saying consider the possibilities. Democrats can talk to the Oliver Anthonys. And they can talk to the non-white, working-class, not-college-educated voter that they're starting to lose, too. But they also have to do it in a way that, and you're going to hear me repeat something that I probably said time and time again over the last 10 months or so this show's been on the air. We also have to talk to these voters and remind them, hey, you're in on this. No, this, this isn't my fault. This isn't their fault. This is our fault. Okay? We lost a slam dunk presidential election in 2016. And what did that get us? Because y'all weren't excited about Hillary. I wasn't excited about Hillary. I still showed up to vote for Y'all weren't excited about Hillary. You don't show up for the midterms because it's not a celebrity reality TV show with a bunch of debates leading up to it like it is every four years. Yeah, 2018 was boring. 2022, we did a little better in 2022. But by and large... Working class folks don't show, and look, I get it. A lot of it has to do with uh, when when election days are and polling places and et cetera. And so I get it. And, you know, the right works hard to make voting harder. Vivek wanted to basically, he said, he said it yesterday on Meet the Press, one election day, paper ballots, that's it. I mean, I can get behind some paper ballot stuff, but the one day is, come on, that's, That is a privilege for anyone who can just have the one day to vote is a privilege. And unless you make it a national holiday, that privilege doesn't exist for all. There's, there's a lack of equality. So I get it. The right makes it hard to vote, but you got to make it a priority folks. Oliver Anthony, you got to make it a priority. He, he, he said he had his, his, his big part two getting to know you speech last week. He's not a political person. He said that in part one and he hates how both sides. Yeah. Okay. But you, you got to show up. You got to know what you're showing up for and you got to show up. So in my mind, there has to be this framing of a message to the American voter in particular. And I, I don't know how, how I've been marinating on saying this and it, it, it may just come out wrong. And so I apologize. I'm running up against deadline anyway. So it's just going to be what it's going to be. Republicans are really good at campaigning to folks who aren't college educated. They are. They can say things that fit on bumper stickers, one-line phrases that resonate, 
with folks who just not the type to think in depth. Democrats have positions that are more nuanced and require explaining. I get it. I totally get it. I mean, you're talking to somebody who spends 44 minutes a day <laughs> trying to relay our, 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 our ideology. But we got to do better about it. We have to do better at speaking to the working class, the non-college educated voter. We have to explain to them that there are 300 million of us and just a handful of them. When I say a handful, I mean the billionaire class. It sounds like the billionaire class. But he's not wrong. The average dollar store employee makes like $14,000 a year. The average dollar store CEO makes about $14 million a year. And, and it's not just dollar stores. It's like that throughout retail. It's like that throughout capitalist America. We're sitting here watching, as a matter of fact, college football is a great example. Here, I'm going to talk sports so some of you guys will be like, ooh. We're seeing this rush of college football to chase after money, and it's ruining the sport. The regionalization used to make capitalism and college football work well for most of America. And then regionalism, after deregulation, became nationalism, became internationalism, globalism. We have unfettered capital. We have unfettered college football right now. Stanford in California, Palo Alto, California, talking about joining the Atlantic Coast Conference. Where the hell does that make any sense? It doesn't. But there's money involved. Lots of money. Not for the workers, you know, the football players to actually make. No, no, silly. No. For the well-heeled at the university's athletic departments. It's no different than capitalism, y'all. So when do we all kind of wake up? And this is where Democrats have to talk to the working class voter better. Black, white, whatever. We're being pitted against each other over tribalistic stuff. Racial lines. Gender lines. Sexuality. Religion. Lack of religion. Ethnicity. You know, place of origin or background. We're being pitted against each other in all those various little ways instead of realizing, hey, it's, it's all of us against the few of them. And we almost, I feel like we almost kind of got it during COVID, right? Like it was right there in front of us. Hey, you know, if something happens and we all shut down the economy, and I'm not suggesting we do this, but I am saying that the power was shown to us and we're like, oh, I didn't notice. If we all decided to shut down the economy, Look what happens. The ruling class freaks the f*** out. They start wanting to pay us better. Hiring bonuses. You want to work from home a few days a week? Yeah, no, please. We just, we just really want you to come back to work, please. It's almost like it's, it's, it's not all that different than what, what teachers almost figured out too. Hey, you know, if we cut off the public-funded daycare... Maybe parents will appreciate us. Well, obviously, that didn't quite work out the way it was supposed to. But again, we were almost there and we just didn't quite get it. 
Okay. I really didn't want to get off on this tangent, but here I am getting off on this tangent. I got to uh, take a quick break, come back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Ron Show on the American One Radio app, americanoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of The Ron Show for Monday. Sometimes I just have these shows where I just lose all track of what I was going to talk about. And like that whole last segment, where was I going to go with this? But you know what? I think it all kind of weaves in together. I think sometimes it's 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 good to have these family conversations, right? All right, family, got to have a family conversation. Family meeting. Going to sit down and we're going to talk about some things that we've uncomfortably not really talked about. And I know that those of you who are true blue left of center and you listen all the time, you probably heard me go off on some of this stuff occasionally here or there. But sometimes it just needs to be like, raged out. And I only say this because obviously I want our side to win. I believe our side is the tableau of America. We better represent the diversity of this country than the other side does. But but they got Nikki Haley. They got Vivek Ramaswamy who who just parrot the same stuff. Oh, they got Tim Scott. But they, you know, they just, but if they're kowtowing to the rich white guy, are they really any different? If they're afraid to stand up to the wealthy white guy and his movement of overwhelmingly white people, are they really all that different? I fully believe that Democrats have the better solutions. And it doesn't necessarily always mean that the super left progressive stuff is going to be what works best. I would sit here and tell you now that as much as I would have said in 2020 after Biden won, it's time to go balls to the wall, full burning platform, blah, 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 blah. Push for universal health care. I mean, seriously, as much as I, I would have said all of this stuff because I believed that the pandemic told us, and I still do actually, that the pandemic told us that there are so many structural problems with the way our economy is set up in this country and COVID exposed them. The pandemic exposed them. And again, as I said last segment, also showed the working class, hey, you you know, you guys actually have the power. Do you see this? I don't think we saw it. Because now we've got this, this rift, this split, this disassociation, this, uh, this, this, boiling anger below the surface, you know, things aren't so great for us down here, you know, that we've just decided we're unhappy with everybody that's running for president. And we are. I mean, nobody's, nobody's lapping the field. Nobody. <laughs> nobody's excited about a, a, a Biden-Trump 2.0. And, and as much as I could sit here and tell you, Y'all, we've got to talk to folks about this. The Biden presidency has actually been pretty good. It has. No, it has. All things considered. Dot, dot, dot. Nobody wants to hear all things considered, though. They want to, again, instead of consider the alternatives, Democrats have to pivot to consider the possibilities and engage voters instead of trying to pretend that everything's good, everything's good, pretend that they're not barely getting by or that, Credit card usage has been spiking here in the last couple of years. It has. It's gone up. Credit card usage has gone up, which doesn't help the Fed. By the way, the Fed wants to, you know, having, they want to get to a point where they can stop lowering interest rates so that they can stop sweating inflation. 
but the credit card usage is going up and that's how Americans are getting by right now. And that tab is growing and the interest rate's growing and there's going to be, there's going to be a, a come to Jesus for that at some point in time. But again, that's not something that Democrats obviously want to focus on, but they obviously also can't focus on things are great. Look how good things are. Look how they could have been. No, you've got to talk to Americans about things that are affecting them now. Gas prices above 350. Groceries, what, 8, 10, 12% higher than they were a year and a half ago. They have to talk about this sort of stuff, but they also have to be frank with the American people. Hey, we're not in this alone. We need your help. Promise you. You got to give us, you got to give us enough votes in the Senate. You got to give us the House while we have the White House. And I promise you, if you can get us those 60 votes in the Senate, If you 57 plus the, the 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 swing, the cinemas and oh God, Angus Kings and Bernie Sanders. I kind of think Kirsten might be malleable if there's 57, 58. Tell the American people that's what you have to do. And that we will do this. We will come up with a solution for the minimum wage that never leaves an American citizen behind again. We will come up with a solution for healthcare that never leaves an American citizen lacking and filing for bankruptcy. The Biden-Harris agenda really needs to find some of that energy from Sanders 2016. And I know some of you centrists and moderates are going, oh, here he goes again. Am I wrong, though? Look at the numbers. What are Americans excited about right now, politically speaking? What are they excited about? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'm even a little, no, I'm going to take that back. I'm a lot concerned at the relative quiet from Democrats when it comes to cop city and not, not the pro or, 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 you know, pro or against not for, or against. No, I'm, I'm just talking about the fact that the city wants to use signature matching. The, the GOP state party chair is like, all right, Atlanta, look at you using signature matching. If that ain't the damn death knell for the city contemplating signature match. Bernice King at the King center. 25 voting rights organizations have said, "Uh uh-uh, no, signature matching, we were against that. Your party was against that. We stand against that. Senator Warnock, not a word. My congresswoman, Nakema Williams, not a word. John Ossoff, not a word. Not a word from the White House. Not a word from party leadership at the state or federal level. <laughs> I really think Democrats are content to believe that abortion is such a big issue that it's going to carry us across the threshold in 2024 and that the Bidenomics pitch is going to be enough to carry us and that running against Trump is going to be enough to carry us over the threshold in 2024. But we have to remember in 2016, hey, We had a good run with President Obama. Could have been a lot better, but it really wasn't all that bad. (laughs) Does that not sound kind of similar to consider the alternative versus consider the possibilities? Americans rallied to vote for President Obama in record numbers back then because we want to consider the possibilities instead of just considering the alternatives, even though Sarah Palin was the alternative or one of the alternatives. 
Oliver Anthony saying it. Bernie Sanders is saying it. I've been saying it. Please, somebody high up in the party be listening. Thank you for listening. Back tomorrow first, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app or AmericaOneRadio.com. And then after wherever you podcast. See you then.